Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Jack. And I'm Nat. And before we get started, we just want to make a quick announcement. Again, we have How Did We Not Know That merch. It's our first piece ever. It's a cute little sticker. If you haven't seen the design, go check out our Instagram at HDWNKT. And if you're interested in supporting us, consider buying one. All right. Okay, go ahead now. What are you talking about today? Okay, I am actually so excited for today's topic. Jack, do you remember when I was messaging you? I was like, I don't have a topic for this week. And you said, oh, you should talk about a person. And I said, oh, that's a great idea because I want to do something a little bit more lighthearted. The Japanese occupation episode was super depressing. Well, guess what? Okay, I'm talking about a person. Is it lighthearted? Not at all. (laughs) It's going to (laughs) be... Somehow it's like... I think it, this person, so I, today I will be talking about Fritz Haber. I think he is arguably one of the most influential people in modern history. I doubt a lot of people have heard his name though. And yeah, it's going to be, this is like one of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard before. He's literally the reason you and I exist today. Without him, we might not be here. But all like his life story is one of the most complicated I've ever heard, and like to this day, historians still struggle to decide how to remember him. So today, Jack and my fellow listeners, as I tell you about the life of Fritz Haber, we're going to re- reflect on a very difficult question: When you judge a person's life, how much virtue is necessary to outweigh the sins? that in mind let's dive into the life of Fritz Haber oh my gosh Matt, <laughs> how do you find these topics I I'm you so find, like, the most obscure topics I've ever heard of no I'm actually so glad that you asked that question because that kind of segues into my next talking topic pretty much like I think half of the things I'm going to talk about in season three came from the book how to hide an empire by Daniel Immervar um I read it like a year ago, but still so many things stuck with me to this day. I know I've plugged this book a bunch of times, but if you haven't read it, please do. And Daniel, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I'm stealing your whole entire book. But um, all right. So that's how I originally found out about Fritz Haber. Um, in the book, How to Hide an Empire, there's a whole section about his life and his impact on the modern world. Uh, and it, his story just really stuck, like stuck with me this whole time. So 
Also, before I go on, I want to mention that most of my research comes from this incredible article written by Paul Barrick for Medium.com. It's titled The Tragedy of Fritz Haber, The Monster Who Fed the World. This is one of the most like well-written articles I've ever read in all my research for this show. So please check out this article. Um, it's, he did an amazing job. So let's get into it. Fritz Haber was born on December 9th. 1868 in Breslau, Germany. He was the son of a Jewish merchant and he grew up in a very small town. But from an early age, he was really interested in chemistry and later in life, he would study it in university. And he was incredibly smart and successful. By 1890, Haber had become a professor of chemistry and electrochemistry at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. And so especially, like, this is, like, an incredible feat, considering that not only did he come from a very small provincial town, he was also Jewish. And so at the time, Jewish citizens in Germany did not have equal opportunities um, compared to non-Jewish citizens. So, like, this is really incredible that he gained so much success. In 1901, he married an extremely brilliant chemist named Clara Immervar, she was the first woman in Germany to pass the rigorous national entrance exam for pre-doctoral chemistry. And she was also the first woman to just be awarded a doctorate in chemistry from a German university. And on top of that, she graduated magna cum laude. So she's extremely smart and extremely successful. Um, so they're both really smart people and they get married in 1901. After their son, Herman, was born, Clara had to balance her career and also, like, taking care of her son. Herman was very sick since he was a child, like, since he was a baby, so she had to balance work and home life. Uh, Despite this challenge, she assisted her husband, Fritz, with his research and co-authored textbooks with him. Um, Also, just a random side note before I continue... Uh, Fritz Haber, he was a close friend of Albert Einstein. <laughs> he helped oh. Albert through his divorce and like they're all in the circle. So if that gives you like kind of a time frame, what's going on, like all these German scientists. Yeah. So they're friends. Wow. And I didn't know Albert Einstein got a divorce. I didn't know he was married. He, yeah, I don't really know much about Albert Einstein's personal life actually. But yeah, I didn't know he got a divorce, but yeah, apparently Fritz Haber helped him through it and they were buddies <laughs> smart friends nice um all right so before fritz haber people thought that the world population would peak at 1.5 billion and after that they would just face starvation like there was only enough food for 1.5 billion people so germany had the ability to feed 30 million people with the amount of sunlight and land they had so this means that the rest of the people would just starve if they couldn't find a way to fertilize the crops. Um, I'm not a scientist, nor am I like a farmer, but yeah, crops need fertilizer (laughs) to grow. And if you're trying to like feed a country, you're going to need lots of fertilizer. But how is fertilizer made? (laughs) Is it like cow manure? Yeah, basically, kind of, yeah. So, in the 1840s, a man named Justice von Liebig discovered that nitrogen was essential to plant growth. 
Again, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to go into the details, but basically the amount of crops grown is directly tied to how much nitrogen is provided. So you need nitrogen to grow a lot of crops. There's nitrogen literally everywhere. It makes up 80% of the atmosphere. There's 4 trillion tons of nitrogen gas. And it's actually the fifth most abundant element in the universe. So the problem wasn't that like, oh, there's not enough nitrogen to make fertilizer to grow plants. The problem was that, yes, nitrogen is in the air, but like, how do we extract it from the air? So at the time, it seemed impossible to create an energy source that was powerful enough to extract it because you had to break the nitrogen bonds, but it was super hard. So countries had to find nitrogen that was in that was outside of the air. So they harvested it through seaweed, manure, and guano. Jack, do you know what guano is? Isn't it bat? Yeah. Bat it's the same poo. thing in mascara. <laughs> no, it's not in mascara, yeah. is it? 100%. I think it is. Because that was a big, there, there was like such a big uproar on it. Because they were like, guano is one of the key components of mascara. I'm about to check my cover <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> See if Guano's maybe listening. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Guano. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is post-recording Matt coming to you from the editing room. Uh, just a quick fact check. Know that it's a myth. There's no actual bat guano in mascara. The reason a lot of people thought that there was guano is because there is an ingredient that is in mascara that's called guanine. So the names sound very similar. Um, guanine is an FDA-approved ingredient. However, it is derived from fish scales. So not as gross as bat poop, but still a little fishy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Back to the episode. Oh, thank you. Jeez, ew, that's so gross. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, so, yeah, guano. <laughs> at the time, guano it was, like, a really powerful commodity because that's, like, how they fed people. That's how they made their plants grow. So wars were fought. Lives were lost over guano. In 1897, Spain went to war against Chile and Peru over the rights to bird and bat poo (laughs) over the rights to use it yeah is it ethical for us to take their fecal matter so basically like there's like islands that like tiny little rocks in the middle of the ocean that all these birds would flock to because guano is like Uh either bird or bat poo and so like the specific bird would like flock to the rocks and then they would like do their yeah they do their business on the rocks and it would just like, that's the only place, because they're in the ocean, so it, like, all piles up on these rocks. And so people would come and, like, hack at all the dried guano and then, like, put it on the boats. And they'd be stuck there for months in, like, these rocky, these rocks in the ocean that are covered in guano. And it's, like, hazardous to breathe and it's just, like, really dangerous. But then they would bring it back and then put it in their fertilizer because it has nitrogen. Okay. So, Yeah. So that's guano. But <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> but then, so you're saying like they had to, 
what there's like legal issues over it well it's like all these different countries were going to these tiny little rocks and they're fighting over like oh hey like we're taking it and then other people Uh, would be like no i want it um yeah okay that makes sense um Daniel Immervar also goes into more detail about guano and how to hide an empire. So another reason (laughs) to read the book. Um, So at the beginning of the 20th century, Fritz Haber discovers how to break the bonds of nitrogen and harvest it from the air. So basically, now he can pull nitrogen from the air and convert it into liquid fertilizer. So this is a really huge deal. In 1909, he shares his discovery with the world, and it's considered to be one of the greatest scientific discoveries in history. Like 100 million tons of nitrogen is created each year by using this method. Half the nitrogen in your body comes from the Haber method. Like it's still used to the day to this day. So <laughs> the fact that he could create liquid for like that he could harvest nitrogen from the air means that he prevented wars he fed people and it led to our modern age like if he had never discovered this like we wouldn't have been able to grow past 1.5 billion like people would have starved out we wouldn't have enough food to feed people yeah and like now wow now we have so much nitrogen right yeah, that's so much more impactful. You're right. I guess there would have been wars over it. Yeah. If we didn't figure this out. Like wars over nitrogen that you can find outside of the air and just yeah. war over food. Over and Yeah, wars over Scarce guano. resources. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Widespread starvation. Now I'm like, whew, good Literally. thing we figured that out. And, like, think about it. If we, like, if our population was capped at 1.5 billion, like, how much could we actually progress scientifically, like, technologically? I don't know. I feel like yeah. if that's always... Well, well uh, I, we could still make great discoveries, but, like, if they, if we can only afford to let a certain amount of people live, like, that's just a horrible thought. Like, we literally yeah, can't... that's a good question. Like, how would the pace of, like, our technological advancements slow if we yeah. had less people? Hmm. Yeah. But either way, like, so this is just an incredible discovery, and now we have billions of people in the world, and it's because of Fritz Haber. And because of this discovery, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1919. Yay! Wait, how did Fritz Haber do it? How do you break nitrogen bonds? Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Uh, Does he talk about it in the book? <laughs> uh, if he did, I don't remember. I, in my research, it combines nitrogen from the air with hydrogen under extremely high pressures and moderately high temperatures, and then this breaks the nitrogen bonds. And <laughs> um, so obviously, this is an incredible discovery. And Haber's ultimate dream had been accomplished. Like, he brought glory to his country. He was praised for his brilliance. And even though he was dealt a tough hand as a Jewish boy from a small town, he had beat the odds and accomplished feats that were unthinkable to many other scholars who had many more advantages. Of course, this accomplishment took a toll on his personal life. 
His marriage to Clara was slowly falling apart as he spent more time away from her, and he ended up moving his family to the capital in 1911 and began hanging out with the upper elites of society. So very bougie. And this boosted his already massive ego and filled him with a great sense of pride. So yeah, he was very egotistical and like he had a, like he really loved himself, which, you know, that's an amazing achievement. So yeah. Um, he no longer <laughs> saw himself as a Jew living in a society that labeled him as a second-class citizen. He believed he was as important as any other German citizen, if not more. Well, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. You should. You are. <laughs> yeah, like, it makes sense. You made one of the greatest discoveries of all time. Now people can yeah. eat. And yeah, you know what? And you really did beat the odds. Like, um, so yeah. yeah. Even if he didn't, you were just as good as any other German citizen, right? Like, right? Yeah, like you should be praised periods. as equally as any other German citizen would have been. Like you should be appreciated. Um, mm-hmm. So as Germany's population and economy grew, so did its ambitions. So flash forward to the Great War, which would later be known as World War One. In World War One. We have Germany fighting French, Russian, and British troops. And Germany sided with Austria, Hungary, and Italy. So there, this is where the incredibly patriotic Fritz Haber volunteers to help the war effort. He realized that the same amount of energy he used to extract nitrogen could be powerful enough for making explosives. So if he reversed the process used to grow life, he could make explosives deadly enough to destroy hundreds of thousands of lives. Oh, no. Yeah. Just wait. This is just the beginning. So, however, the Allied forces also had a steady supply of explosives. So he's like, yes, I made all these explosives. It's extended the war. It's like helped us stay in the war for a little bit longer. Germany didn't have to claim defeat or didn't have to accept defeat so quickly. Um, so this, their, his explosives let them continue fighting. But then Allied forces also have a steady supply of explosives. So his discovery for making explosives wasn't going to be enough to win the war. But Haber had another idea. The ammonia he distilled through the air using the Haber method could also be added to chlorine in order to make an asphyxiating gas, which would later be known as mustard gas. Jack, have you ever heard of mustard gas? Um, yeah, I've heard of it. Just yeah. like, I assumed he was going to make some type of like poisonous gas now. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, like, you were studying the... <laughs> Yeah, because it said he it said he made ammonia, and I was oh, like, oh, okay. And, then, and then, like, then I was like, and then you said like, oh, the explosives weren't enough, and I was like, yeah, well, he does have toxic gases coming <laughs> from the process, so you're like, maybe he'll use that. He did use that, and so he created he helped create mustard gas. So Germany was just desperate enough to agree to this plan because first he comes up, he like messages the war generals. He's like, hey, guess what? 
I can make a poisonous gas that can just wipe everyone out. And everyone was like, oh, like, should we do that? Is that okay? Like, there are still some rules in war, you know? Um, is like are there are there rules in war? At this point, they had the Hague, the Hague Convention. There was the Hague Conventions in eighteen ninety nine that outlined outlined like certain rules during wartime, like what you can and can't do. And it would be updated later in nineteen oh seven. But at the time, they were like, oh, I don't know if using chemical gas would like I don't know if that's a violation of the Hague Convention. They weren't sure yet. Um, but they were like incredibly desperate and so they're like, okay, fine, let's try this out. So Fritz's wife, Clara, she was a pacifist and she publicly opposed Haber's work. She said that it was, quote, a sign of barbarity corrupting the very discipline which ought to bring new insights into life, unquote. So she really dragged him in public and she cited how like the poisonous gas they tested on German troops, killed the soldiers that they were tested on. So it's not like, oh, you're just going to oh. injure troops. Like, no, you're going to, like, be killing huge amounts of people. And, like, that's extremely immoral. Yeah, and so Haber responds by calling Clara treasonous. And he says, quote, During peacetime, a scientist belongs to the world. But during wartime, he belongs to his country, unquote. So they have very different views. Haber at this time is incredibly patriotic and he will do anything to help his country win the war. And so their marriage continues to fail further as he stands by his creation of mustard gas and pushes it for it to be used on the battlefield. On April 22nd, 1915, German forces release more than 168 tons of chlorine gas on 10,000 enemy British, French, and other allied troops on the Belgian fields of Ypres. The gas is described as a slow-moving yellow wall. You can actually, like, just walk. If you walk at a brisk pace, you can, like, outrun it. Um, But at the first, this is their first time seeing this, so they're like, what the heck? No one really moves. Um, So as the gas reaches the troops more than half of the troops are dead within minutes so that's over 5,000 people and so Sergeant Elmer Cotton who was a Canadian soldier who was at Ypres at the first uh, uh, the first attack to use mustard gas he actually survived and this is how he he describes the attack as a quote An equivalent death to drowning only on dry land. The effects are there. A splitting headache, a terrific thirst, a knife edge of pain in the lungs, and the coughing up of a greenish froth of the stomach and the lungs, ending finally in insensibility and death. Unquote. So, like, I won't, like, if you want to go into the details, it's really, um, it's a really gruesome way to die and so Haber is watching this from the German side and he's ecstatic to see the allied troops fall and for him this was just a test run he this was not the only time he wanted to use this he's later promoted to captain a huge party is thrown in his favor and so 
we're gonna get into a bit of a a depressive part. Yeah, this is gonna this next part is gonna be really sad. Trigger warning: skip the next like minute and a half if you don't wanna. Uh, we we are going to talk about suicide, so please skip the next two minutes if this is difficult for some listeners. So at this party, Clara confronts Haber publicly and they erupt into this really intense argument. She calls him morally bankrupt and he accuses her of being an enemy to Germany. And this is really the breaking point for Clara. The two of them have struggled for years now and she can no longer live by her principles married to such an evil man. So that same night, while Haber lay asleep in their bed, she took his revolver, walked to their outside garden, and shot herself in the chest. And it was actually Herman, her son, who was 13 at the time. He was the one to find her. And the next morning, Fritz Haber goes back to work directing more gas attacks. And sadly, Herman is left alone by himself to deal with the aftermath of his dead mother. <sighs> yeah, oh. so it's very difficult. So Fritz didn't, did he just know and then go to work anyway? Yeah, or? Like, obviously wow. he knew, yeah, his wife died, but then he didn't really take a break. Um, and of, and it's going to get even, okay, it's not over yet. So, of course, this is extremely traumatic for any child. And so, after Herman immigrated to America in the late 1930s, he would also commit suicide. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's just really tragic. Um, just everything about it. And yeah, was divorce not an option back then? I assume. I'm sure it wasn't as popular. I'm not sure about the specifics, but obviously, like Clara was having such a moral dilemma and like really struggling, and yeah. And so Haber says he was haunted by his wife's death throughout the rest of the war. So he said, "Quote." I hear in my heart the words that the poor woman once said. I see her head emerging from orders and telegrams, and I suffer, unquote. So Haber did go back to work. I know people mourn differently. Um, It still was really hard on Herman. I can't even imagine. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's complex. Yeah. I think after a certain point, you can't just say, don't use my gas, because they're going to, they'll still use it anyways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he was a he was very he was a strong supporter of using mustard gas in World War One. Like it's not like he was like, Ooh, like my genius like my I my invention is being used for evil. Like he was really all for it and was pushing for it yeah. actually. He was like lobbying all the army generals. So wow. Yeah, so meanwhile the Allied forces are also quickly developing their own poisonous gas attacks against Germany. So the war drags on for three more years, and on November 11th, 1918, at 11 a.m., the Great War came to an end, and Germany was defeated. So 100,000 people had died on both sides from poisonous gas attacks, with another 1 million wounded from it. And millions more were killed by the explosives made in Haber's munitions factories. So he really had a strong impact and was responsible for... His inventions were responsible for a lot of lives. 
And so Haber, after World War I, he felt humiliated and crushed by Germany's defeat. And he tries to, like, obviously he had this insane scientific accomplish, accomplishment. So he tries to pursue other accomplishments. He's trying to, like, one-up himself. But he fails. So later he tries to distill gold naturally dissolved in the ocean like he wanted to produce gold from water like he produced nitrogen from air now he wants to produce gold from water to make his country rich but he fails in that pursuit and so he's not doing well and in 1933 adolf hitler becomes chancellor of germany and haber's life becomes even worse the nazis quickly forbid jews from working in the civil service although Haber was exempt because of his effort in World War I, but 75% of Haber's employees were Jewish and they were all fired. So Haber took a stand and he resigned. He was like, you can't benefit from my discoveries if you're not going to treat like me as the same, you know? Yeah, well, if only he knew how much worse it was going to get. Yeah. Jewish people. Well, yeah, it's going to get a lot worse very soon. So Haber left Germany feeling abandoned, and so he traveled across Europe. He ended up teaching at Cambridge, but he was actually shunned by his British colleagues as a war criminal because, remember, Um, like, he was the one. Yeah, so they he felt very ostracized. And while he was in Switzerland, his heart failed, and in 1934, he died alone in a hotel. And at the end, yeah, so he died alone, and at the end of his life, he regretted using his mind and discoveries for waging war. So he did feel guilty by the end. Um, I can't imagine, like, coming to terms with the impact all that had. That's such a, that's like the biggest ethical dilemma yeah. you probably ever have, you know? You originally made something that was supposed to help and solve a global issue, and then... Well, that's the thing yeah. is, like, and, like, the thing is, like, yes, like, he's like, okay, he made the invention of the mustard gas, but again, like, he was a strong supporter of using it in the battlefield. So it's not like That's true. he was a, he was just like, Oh no, I've been tricked, but it gets, it gets even worse. So by the time, it's yeah, gonna we're, worse. yeah, it's going to get worse. We're, we're very, oh, we're man. almost finished, but okay. We just got to end with another really depressing thing. What the heck? Okay. By the time world war two began, Haber had been dead for a while. Many of his creations were still being used, though, after he passed away, including a hydrogen cyanide pesticide called Zyklon. When Nazis discovered this invention, they realized what they wanted to do with it. All they needed to do was change the formula a little bit. So chemists were asked to remove the smell from the gas that warned people it was poisonous. And so as Haber's deadly gas poured through the gas chambers in concentration camps throughout Europe, Haber's family members, friends, and millions of other Jews fell to their knees without knowing what had hit them. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Now, what the heck? This is, like, the saddest (laughs) thing I've ever heard. It's a Monday morning for me. I'm so so sorry. This is, like, actually one of the most depressing things. Tragic, yeah. This is so tragic. This is the saddest thing I've ever heard. It's, well, because I think what makes it extremely, obviously, the war is horrible, but it's, like... 
when you shrink it down to a human scale, mm. it's like, oh man, I can't imagine the the like feelings, the complexities of right? grief and it's so complex. And, yeah. Mm. Wow. It's like I don't know. I, like I don't know how we don't know more. Like, how have I? never heard of this man so the geneva protocol of 1925 bans the use of chemical and biological weapons in international armed conflicts so now you cannot use mustard gas or any other chemical weapons um to this day historians are still conflicted on how to judge fritz haber billions of people would not exist without him and the world would not look the same and yet if it wasn't for him World War One would have ended years earlier and millions of people would have been spared a painful and gruesome death. So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned Paul Barrick's article, The Tragedy of Fritz Haber, The Monster Who Fed the World. He did a beautiful job concluding the article. I'm just going to quote what he said at the end because I can't do a better job. So this is what Barrick has to say. Haber was not simply a German Jew. He was a human being. All monsters are, and all saints as well. He was creative and destructive, warm-hearted and pitiless. He fed billions with his research and rejoiced at the agonized deaths of thousands. He lived in luxury and died broken and alone, repentant of the evil he helped create. There is no easy way to weigh his sins and his virtues on the scales of history. Perhaps there's no point in trying. In the end, he was a man named Fritz Haber. And that's how I'm going to conclude the, one of the most depressing episodes, which I went into this, I went into episode three thinking we need something lighthearted, and this is what I came up with. So I'm sorry to our listeners. I'm sorry to you, Jack, to put you through this on a Monday morning. Um, so but I sad. read about this a year ago, and like to this day, oh my goodness, like I could just could not take this man out of my head. It's yeah so yeah there. no you did a great job Matt <laughs> thank you for covering this it was very interesting I probably he's gonna be in my head for the next year now yeah um wow that was incredible if any listeners have more positive <laughs> topics please email us at yeah. how did we not know that at gmail.com because we I mean we really struggle to find happy topics but we would like to be more uplifting yeah yeah episode four we need something happy (laughs) yeah something fun like the history of lollipops or something (laughs) i don't know the history of the tootsie roll i'm sure there's some dark (laughs) there's something bad in there right there's guano in our tootsie pops all right okay well thank you for listening everyone we will see you guys next week bye bye this has been an episode of how did we not know that if you liked it don't forget to subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from you can also follow us on all social media at hdwnkt and subscribe to our youtube channel also check out our website at hdwnkt.com to find all of our show notes and study guides for each episode you can help us improve the quality of the podcast by becoming a history hero through our patreon thank you for listening and see you guys next week